Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm Thai, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. And I'm Kevin. So Kevin, today we're talking about everyone's favorite food, pasta. Oh man, I love some pasta. And a lot of people have been cooking pasta over this past year as we've had to do some more cooking in our own homes. Um, and one of the things I always have wondered is why is it that when I'm boiling pasta in a saucepan with a lid on, uh, there's all this foam that tries to escape. Um, but as soon as I open up the lid, it just dies back down. Oh, very popular question. Lots of our listeners have most likely experienced uh, a frothy pasta overflow situation, especially when you got one of those uh, clear lids. So it's actually all got to do with the starch from the pasta. Uh, it's what increases the surface tension of the water. So when that starch, right, it gets released into the cooking water, it stabilizes the froth that you get, especially if you boil it too vigorously. So putting the lid on keeps more heat in. So effectively, it's kind of like turning up the gas too high. Mm. And leaving the lid on also increases the humidity in the space above the liquid. So it slows the evaporation of the water, which allows those bubbles to grow larger before the liquid in the bubble kind of uh, thins out sufficiently for the bubble to, let's say, burst. And finally, when you take the lid off, the humidity in all that space above the liquid, it falls. Uh, evaporation becomes faster and the bubbles all burst before it gets large, leading to a much thinner foam layer. I see. Well, there's a pro tip, uh, but I'm, I've got to ask the question, why does the uh, professional chef lay a wooden spoon across the top of the pan or the pot uh, to keep the froth down? Oh, yes. That actually is a real-life pro tip. Um, the spoon, when you put a wooden spoon across the top, uh, it breaks the surface tension of the bubbles. And unlike a lid, it doesn't make uh, that space hotter or more humid. So it's a really good tip. I see. Now, another question. Do you strictly need boiling water to cook pasta, or can you cook dried pasta in, say, 80-degree water? Oh, hmm. That's a pretty interesting one. So there's actually two stages uh, to cooking uh, dried pasta. Uh, you could think of it as the hydration stage, and then the cooking stage. And not many people know you could actually kind of separate these two stages. We've already talked about the one important compound here, starch. Um, and since its outer layer is quite hard, it takes a while for cold water to get through this you know, really tough barrier. Uh, heat tends to break down some starch compounds, which allows that outer layer to become something like a more of a porous membrane. Uh, and this overall allows the grain to uh, absorb water much faster. Wait, so are you saying I could start cooking pasta in cold water, but it just takes longer? <laughs> yeah, turns out whether you start with hot or cold water, pasta will still absorb just about the same amount eventually. And to prove this, people have done experiments where they've cooked a few batches of pasta side by side in various amounts of water and starting at various temperatures too. Uh, no matter how I did it, the pasta all ended up soaking about you know 75% of its dry weight in water. And also get this, the pastas were also indistinguishable from each other in a, in a taste test. I see. So you can start out cold. It might just take a little bit longer, um, but, uh, it, but you do need to get through that cooking phase. Yes, yes, definitely. Now, turning to a little bit of pasta history, there is a common belief that Marco Polo 
brought pasta to Europe back from Asia uh, in about the 13th, 14th century. Is this true? Oh, uh, well, kind of. Um, so the first concrete information concerning pasta products in Italy dates from the 13th or 14th century. And the legend of Marco Polo, Marco Polo importing pasta from China uh, originated with the Macaroni Journal, uh, published by an association of food industries with the goal of promoting pasta in the United States. And they essentially point to the fact that Marco Polo described a food uh, similar to Lagana, actually. Mm, so is it a fact then? You know, Tim, it's not that easy. To, it's not that quite that easy to say. Uh, the counterpoint is the argument that uh, the Arabs introduced something like pasta in the Emirati of Sicily in the 9th century. So there's evidence that traces of pasta have been found in ancient Greece. Uh, and some people argue that the Marco Polo story seems to have been originated in the 1920s or 1930s uh, in an advertisement for a Canadian spaghetti company. Hmm. So, so, you know, there are also some earlier traces. Uh, for example, in the 1st century AD writings of Horace Lagana, they write about those uh, you know, fine sheets of fried dough. And uh, there's another example, an early 5th century cookbook describes a dish called Lagana that consisted of layers of dough with meat stuffing. You know, sound familiar? <laughs> kind of uh, like, a, like a, yeah, kind of like an ancestor of modern day lasagna. Right, like layers of dough with all the meat and cheese in between. I see. So, so what do you conclude then? Well, Tim, it kind of depends on your definition of pasta. Uh, for many of those earlier references before the 13th, 14th century, the method of cooking these sheets of dough does not really seem like our modern definition of either a fresh or a dry pasta product. So, I'd say there were similar basic ingredients and perhaps a shape earlier, but Marco Polo probably had a part to play in the quote-unquote invention of pasta. Got it. Um, now, if pasta is made of uh, the same thing in all forms, just flour, eggs, water, uh, then why have people gone through lengths to make so many different types of shapes? Oh, yes. Not just dozens, but hundreds, uh, apparently, uh, different shapes of pasta exist. Uh, and the reason for this is it's all actually all about the sauce. So sauces cling on to each shape differently. Uh, lighter sauces tend to coat long pastas pretty well. The tube-shaped or rigid pastas work well with thicker sauces because they can pick up the sauce better. Uh, there's buttery sauces, which are best with filled pastas. And there are actually websites dedicated to figuring out what sauces match with what shapes. Oh, wow. Uh, well, just give us the high-level general guide then here as we wrap up. Sure. So high-level, the smaller or thinner your pasta, the lighter or thinner the sauce or soup it should be paired with. And the bigger or thicker the pasta, the heartier or meatier the sauce it can, be, it can handle. Uh, and then those giant pasta shapes like the manicotti, the jumbo shells, or can uh, cannelloni uh, are actually meant to be stuffed. Uh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, time to go get some food then. Did you learn something new? If you did, send us an email. We are at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you, especially when you have suggestions for future topics. 
Um, and of course, if you have time and would like to help us to get more people to listen to the podcast, do leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As always, thank you to the wonderful community at r slash explain like I'm five on Reddit, and we will see you all next week.